This is Ananin Kaike, and welcome to Voice of the Water Lily, an exploration of our ancestral music over the last 100 years intertwined with a historical and personal perspective. We will be exploring Latin music, more specifically salsa, Latin jazz, Cuban music, and Puerto Rican music. We are going to go deep into the history, learn about the seminal artists, as well as the artists that never received recognition, and we're going to add a personal touch through memories and anecdotes. Espero que disfruten mucho, con mucho, mucho cariño. Que lo que hay mi gente. Today I am so excited to present to you something very, very special. I had the honor of speaking to Aurora Flores, of interviewing her. And this is something that has been a dream of mine for a long time. This is a dream come true for me, really. Um, for those of you who don't know who Aurora Flores is, she is a journalist, a writer, a musician, an activist, CEO of Aurora Communications, and a fearless defender of her culture. She's a true cultural warrior. And there's just so much to be said. She's, had, she's made so many contributions to our culture. Um, and so this was incredible. It was an incredible experience for me to be able to talk to her. And we talked about so much, which you're going to hear. Um, she talked a lot about what she had to deal with as a Puerto Rican woman um, coming up as a journalist in the 70s. She talks about the importance of our Latin music, of salsa in our culture. She tells an so many incredible stories. Um, there's this really amazing story about Roberto Roena and so, so much more. And this all set within a, an incredible historical and social context. So enjoy. Before we get started, I'm gonna we're gonna play a song real quick, and this is a song that uh, was performed live by Aurora with her band Son del Barrio, and it's a plena um, in honor of Tito Cepeda. Enjoy. Tito Cepeda,
talk to you about what was it like um what was it like for you when you started out as a journalist um and not only as a boricua at the time but also as a woman like what was that like for you it was not easy <laughs> it was not easy um first of all the entire industry the music industry especially latin music at the time was like a giant testosterone club. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, it, it was um, a lot of men. And um, they, even though I was part of Latin New York, and the two guys who were the editors at the time were part of the Young Lords, mm -hmm. they really wanted me to be like their typist, their secretary. Right. <laughs> they wouldn't give me assignments. They would tell me, oh, can you type this for me? Can you type that for me? I'm like, what? <laughs> what the hell? So, yeah, so I started up coming up with my own assignments. Mm -hmm. And then one day when no one was around, because they had all gotten, uh, the funny all-stars were going to Africa. Uh -huh. So yeah. everybody had these assignments, and then Izzy, the publisher, was going with them to Africa. So... At that time, I get um, the assignment of interviewing Tito Puente, uh -huh. which was terrific. Uh -huh. So interviewing Tito Puente was something because um, at the time I looked at Tito Puente as uh, as uh, it was part of my mother's music. Mm -hmm. I grew up with Tito Puente. 
it wasn't part of my music at the time. I was very much. I had, I had a. I joined the orchestra when I was twelve in junior high school. By the time I was fifteen, we recorded our first album. I played string bass. It was a classical orchestra. We did Handel's Messiah at Town Hall, and um, then I got into. I was into jazz, and then I got into boogaloo. Mm-hmm. So the boogaloo was my bridge that took me into salsa. Yeah. But so now I'm at Latin New York. And I'm volunteering there, working there. And um, when I get the assignment to do Tito Puente, I'm like, wow, I'm, 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 I go to the library, the library on 42nd Street. And I start doing research and I start reading everything I can. And there's microfilm and all this. And I'm reading articles and taking notes. And I really wanted to do a good job. And then they sent me to interview Tito Puente. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what day of the week it was, but I remember it was nine o'clock at night. I'm saying <laughs> to myself, nine o'clock at night, that's like, okay, you know, I'm in the music industry. Why am I questioning this? But they weren't really waiting for a journalist. Uh-huh. When I walked into that office, it was like they were having their own party already. Him uh-huh. and Ross God. Yeah. And I sit down and I'm all nervous. I'm like 20 years old and, um, But I have my little tape recorder, and I have my notes with me. And the moment I sit down, I see they got this bottle of Courvoisier, and then there's this mirror, and there's this mountain of cocaine. Yeah, I've read the story. I've read the article you wrote about that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh, my God. I had never seen cocaine Mm -hmm. in person. (laughs) You know, I had gone to college. We did, you know... We smoke weed, we drink wine, you know, nasty wine. And <laughs> we, we, we didn't do that, you know? So I'm like, oh, uh, right away I'm intimidated. Mm-hmm. But it was a good experience because after my initial fear died down um, and I was really able to talk to Tito, he was impressed with my knowledge and he was impressed. What saved me was that I had done my homework. Mm-hmm. And he noticed that. Yeah. And he was like, wait a second, she came to interview me. And she's asking me these questions that are, like, making me think. She's not asking me stupid-ass questions, <laughs> right, you know? Right, right, yeah. yeah. Everyone wants and to ask, he, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, that saved me. Mm-hmm. That really saved me. And he saw that I was a kid. I mean, I must have looked like you. <laughs> and he must have said, oh, no, 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 these guys are torturing her. Come on, kid, come with me. Mm-hmm. And he, he, he kind of, like, mentored me in a way because he would tell me like who to hang out with who not to hang out with he was he was cool man he was really really cool with me mm-hmm. and I heard from his um widow Margie that at the time when I met him she had had her daughter and so he was at a time when he had you know a little girl and he was a, it impressed me in me that I looked so young. And his wife told me that he always had encouraged his daughter to go into media, to be a reporter, mm-hmm. to, you know. Yeah. So I, I always felt good about that. I said, wow, that's that's such a good, um, um, it's, such, it's, it's such a good compliment to get, especially years later. But mm-hmm. um, it was not easy with the other guys. They always wanted to treat you like you were secretary. Mm-hmm. They, it was, and then the sexual innuendos. 
Oh my god! Oh gosh! Oh, that was like, and then it was a, a time of, of of drug, sex, and rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And because we went salsa, didn't make any difference. It was <laughs> drug, sex, and salsa. Uh-huh. And 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 quite frankly, they had better drugs. So it was it was um, it was a crazy time. And also, you got to remember, in 1972, by 1972, abortions were legal. By 1970s, there was already Planned Parenthood, and you could get um, birth control pills without um, your husband's consent. <laughs> because back in the day, they would not give you birth control pills unless you went with your husband. Oh, my God. And then later on, with your parents' permission. <laughs> And so by 1972, all this had changed, and it was, um, it was, it was like a time of freedom, especially for women. It was like they opened the cage and let us all out, and then the miniskirts were in style, and the platform shoes, and we didn't have to wear a bra, and we could show our midriffs and tie our shirts up, and we went wild. Women went wild, you know, and that. But uh, it, it it was it was difficult. Even when I went into places like uh, um, BAI, or um, I remember one time it was already 1981. I was pregnant. I was seven months pregnant, and Mayor Koch was giving the key to the city to my people. Oh wow! <laughs> this is a big yeah. That's yeah. a big deal. Right? Yeah. So on the other side of City Hall, City Hall in the front has these stairs that go up. Mm-hmm. But City Hall towards the back, right, there's an entrance towards the back that leads out into City Hall Park. There's a little park there. Mm-hmm. So what they did was they made a stage back there. Mm-hmm. They put up a stage that extended from the back of City Hall, and you just walked onto the stage, and the stage was... I would say about maybe eight or nine feet above the park. So people could, a lot of people could stand there and see what was going on. Mm-hmm. So they put this big stage up. Now, because I was pregnant at the time I was using public transportation, I get there and I have my tape recorder and I'm supposed to do, I'm supposed to cover this event for WBAI. Mm-hmm. So. When I get there, all the TV guys are already there. All the other guys are there, and it's all men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the photographers are set up right in front. The TV guys are up there. They all have their microphones already by the dais. There's a podium there where Conscious is going to come out and speak. So all their microphones are taped up to that. So there was still about a good 15 minutes left to set up. So I'm trying to get through them, and I'm very small. Mm-hmm. I'm like five feet tall, you know, five feet nothing. <laughs> and I'm seven months pregnant, and I'm wearing a dress and sandals. And they're not letting me go through these guys. So I'm trying to make my way through. They don't let me go through. Finally, when I get to where the stage is, I tell them, listen, I got to get up on the stage. I got to get my mic up there. So they're all blocking me, and they're telling me, well, you got here too late. <laughs> so, yeah, and they told me, if you want to do that now, you're going to have to walk all the way around to the front of City Hall. <laughs> so, 
and then come to the front all the way to the back. Now, that was going to take me at least 10 minutes. Oh, my God. And I already saw coaches coming down the hall to take them to take the podium. And I'm like, I'm not missing one minute of this. (laughs) So what did I do? I took my pocketbook. I threw it on the stage. I hiked up my dress. And they were like, um, since they had made the stage, they had like these steel beams crisscrossed. So I just hung on to one of them and situated my foot and lifted myself up to the stage. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh, my God. While everybody's watching me. One photographer actually took a picture of me. I crouched down. Right as I get on the stage, Koch gets to the podium. I crouch down. I put my arm up with my mic up to where he's speaking. And he looks down on me like, what the hell are you doing there? And I look at him and smile, and I'm like, I'm getting my story. And he starts to shout. And that's where I stayed the whole time. <laughs> and I remember when I got there, I'm trying to get to the stage, and I see Celia. Celia's already sitting there because they had chairs lined up. Mm-hmm. So Celia's there with Pedro. I see Machito. I see all these people are there. So Celia sees me, and she's telling me, ¿Qué tú ahí, nena? ¿Qué tú ahí? Because they were calling me Nina. Mm-hmm. And she's trying to get me to come up. And um, and I'm telling her, no me dejan pasar. Estos tipos no me dejan pasar. She thought I was going to go around. And then when she saw me climbing up, she's like, a ver, Maria. She got scared. Mm-hmm. But then I just, you know, I just, I got on the stage and I crouched down and I pulled out my mic and I, hey, I'm ready to go. And Cox mm-hmm. was right there. He was ready to go. And I'm like, you can go ahead. Don't worry about me. <laughs> and I got my story. Uh huh. <laughs> and I remember afterwards, I interviewed Larry Harlow. He was there. Uh-huh. Marquito, um, uh, Alfredo de la Fe, mm-hmm. uh, Mario Bauza. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my God, I interviewed so many of them um, that were there that day. I got to find that interview. And then I, I found my story with WBAI. Wow. So if you want to know how they, they these men try to block you, yeah, they, they tried to block me. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't believe how outrageous I was, you know. <laughs> I was a badass, too. I was like, okay, okay. you want to block me? All right. Okay. <laughs> they just didn't think I was going to climb that. <laughs> but I'm like, you guys aren't going to stop me. No. Right, right, yeah. And and I did what I had to do. So, yeah, that's what I did. Mm. So, let's see. Uh, oh, I've had one guy from some Spanish language newspaper stole one of my proposals and, and put it in as his own and actually had the nerve to publish it with his name on it. And when I saw it, I went, oh, no, he did not do this. Oh. So I went to the news- newspaper. They were so afraid I was going to sue them. Wow. They fired him right away. <laughs> and um, that took care of that. And mm-hmm. Well, there were, there were a lot of instances. You, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. there's a lot of envy. In yeah. every industry, there's envy. Mm-hmm. But in particular, the Latin music in- industry, oh, God, the envy is like... Yeah. And that was just being a journalist when I 
I mean, I didn't start my own band until I became, until I was almost 50 years old. Wow. You know, till much older. And then I went and I wanted it as a tribute band to Cortijo. It was called Cortijo's Tribe. Wow. And um, um, when we were going to do our CD release party, I went to Willie Rodriguez, who was an old friend of mine. I knew him from Ralph Mercado days, from those days. Mm-hmm. He was running LQ, the Land Quarter. Mm-hmm. And I talked to him, and he, um, I got a date there to do the gig. Mm-hmm. So the week before the gig, I go there because there was a young singer I was mentoring, and I wanted him to feel comfortable and know the place and all that. Mm-hmm. And... Um, uh, when I get there, he, my friend Willie tells me, whoa, you have haters. And I'm like, yeah, what happened? <laughs> and he told me, I actually had a band leader come in here. And he was so upset that you had a gig here. He threw $1,000 on my desk so that I could take you out and put his band in. Oh, my gosh. What the hell? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's that <nurse>. vicious. <laughs> And that was like 2006, so you know it was not that long ago. Wow. So this is this is what women are up against, mm-hmm. you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy, and it's still a man's world. Yeah, it's still a man's world. I don't care what they say here. It's still a man's world. I'm glad for the Me Too movement, and I'm glad that women are becoming more vocal. But even in the Latin music industry, I mean, I've seen some abuses. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, the level of domestic violence is mm-hmm. unbelievable, and they keep it very quiet. Because even among the women, they are so brainwashed and, and, and like, accepting of the man as superior and being able to hit us. If we were children and and not do anything about it, they won't, they will not defend another woman. If he's an artist and he's famous, he could punch her in the face in front of the other wives and they will look the other way. (laughs) They will look the other way. And then if you say something, they'll blame you. It's bad. It's bad. It's still like that. Mm -hmm. It's still like, that's the big problem in Puerto Rico. So it's, it's bad. It's bad. Mm-hmm. And, but w- women have to still be in there. We have to, our voices have to be heard. Yeah. And we have to call them out on their bullshit. We really do. Mm-hmm. We have to call them out or else it's going to continue like this. And it can't. It can't continue like this. No. So. No. Which no. is why I'm glad to see you're doing this podcast. This is amazing. <laughs> Thank I you. you. I really do. It's a great thing. Thank you. That means so much coming from you. Really, it does. It's such an honor. Uh. <laughs> yes. Um, I wanted to ask you, what role does music play in in a in our in in our struggle, in our culture, and in in our lives? You know, what music? What role does this Latin music play in our lives, and why is it important to us? Our music, especially Latin music is part of our culture because within the culture it gives us um it hands down oral histories mm-hmm. it tells us about how life was during our grandparents time our great-grandparents time mm-hmm. it tells us about the progress we have made as a community as an island and then the salsa it was 
the children of salsa, the children of Latin music, um, now in New York, now taking the music and, and dressing it up as their own, not rejecting their parents' music like the American kids, mm -hmm. taking taking their parents' music and now wearing it, but making it hip, updating mm -hmm. it, uh, yeah. bringing in elements of jazz, bringing in elements of the doo-wop music we were hearing, yeah. elements of rock, um, elements of R&B and soul, you know, and we're in the same schools and we're in the same factories and yeah. we're, we're in the same jobs, uh, you know, we're in the same jails. Mm -hmm. Everybody is living together. And mm -hmm. so this music mix, it, it, in New York, yeah, salsa's different. It's not nobody's music, it's our music. Yeah. And it's a lot of the basic elements are Afro-Cuban. Yeah. But then, because we were here in New York and there were so many Puerto Ricans. Right. It was Afro-Puerto Rican. And then when the Dominicans with the merengue came in 55, yeah. mm -hmm. it was merengue too, so plena. Bomba, orisa, merengue, um, uh, and all of the other different rhythms of the Cuban rhythms. Mm -hmm. Guaracha, guaguanco, son montuno, um, all of that uh, blended together here on the streets of New York. And we called it salsa. Yeah. We called it salsa and we mixed them together. Um, I'll tell you one story I remember of Roberto Joena. Mm. <clears throat> when I first met him, there was, uh, it was 1975, and there was a rehearsal of mm -hmm. the Fania All-Stars. And mm -hmm. at the time, the guest artist was Celia Cruz mm -hmm. and Imaia Rivera. Mm -hmm. So they were rehearsing the Fania All-Stars, and they were going to start with the guaracha because Celia was going to start, they were going to sing cucala. Uh -huh. Celia was going to start it first, uh -huh. right? So Celia, they were going to do a guaracha style. Mm -hmm. But when Imael came on, they had to switch and morph into yeah. a bomba. I've heard that song. It's incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's really incredible. So it, it, it's an incredible song. And mm -hmm. the way they do it, I'll oh, tell you yes. the story. It's incredible. So, um... When they were rehearsing, and I mean, you had guys like Ray Barreto there, mm -hmm. and Juventus Zambon on, 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 on the bongos. I think it was 75, 75. Was it Nicky on Timbales then? Or was it still... Um, By 75, no, it no. would have been Nicky because... Nicky, Nicky, yeah. it was Nicky, yeah. Or Estelle Lato had already left. Yep. So... Um, <laughs> You know your stuff, girl. I like that. <laughs> so, uh, oh, um, Roberto is getting annoyed during the rehearsal. Uh -huh. And they're not getting the break. They're not getting it straight. And all of a sudden, Roberto just jumps up from his bongo chair, throws the bongos away, and mm. he's like, starts, he's cursing them out, especially oh Roberto. Oh, my God. Yeah. And he said, you are not going to disrespect my music this way. Whoa. This is a bomba. You don't play it like that. Wow. This is how you play bomba. Oh, he was so upset. Wow. And he not only took it as a personal affront, mm -hmm. he actually said it was a disrespect to Puerto Rico. Whoa. This is what he said. Wow. 
And I think he was so upset because Ray Barreto was Puerto Rican. Yeah. And um, he got really annoyed. But they finally got it. Wow, yeah. But I remember at that rehearsal, they almost went to blows. Whoa. Because Ray Barreto was an arrogant guy. You Uh don't think he just took that from Coelho. Right, yeah. Oh, my God. So, I mean, they had a whole Coelho back. It was like that. Oh, my gosh. And that tells you how important the music is. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that interview. Tune in for part two next week. And I just want to talk a little bit about what I, some of the things that I learned. Um, first of all, it is so important. It is so important to understand that this music tells our story. It's not, it's like Aurora says, it's not just a soundtrack, but it tells our story. It talks about who we are and our identity as a people. Um, and I also want to point out that it is imperative for us as young people to keep our culture alive and we have to have a value for it. We have to see it as being important in our lives and we need to keep it alive. Um, and that is, that's really important. And the other thing that I wanted to say was that, that it's pretty clear from, from, from some of the stories that Aurora told, it is so important to never let anyone silence you. Um, and I just learned that and so much more. Tune in for ne- next week for some amazing history um, and so much more that you'll learn. And anyway, I hope you enjoy that. Remember, you can find me on social media, Voice of the Water Lily. Go to my blog, voiceofthelily.water.blog. Um, and you can also leave me a voicemail. Anyway, um, until next time. Actually, this, this time I'm going to leave you with a song. It's Volare y Mailen Cortijo. And until next time, like always, keep dancing, keep honoring your ancestors. Con mucho, mucho cariño. Chao. Y las manos de azul Y de improviso el viento feliz